Oh, do we have a treat for you today on the Rise Together podcast. Gabby Bernstein is here, ladies and gentlemen. Gabby is the number one New York Times bestselling author of The Universe Has Your Back and has written five additional bestsellers. She was featured on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday as a next generation thought leader, and the Oprah Winfrey Network chose Gabby as a part of the Super Soul 100, a dynamic group of 100 trailblazers whose vision and life's work are bringing a higher level of consciousness to the world. She appears regularly as an expert on the Dr. Oz Show and has co-hosted the Guinness World Record largest guided meditation with Deepak Chopra. Additionally, Gabby has been featured in media outlets such as Elle, OWN, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Marie Claire, Health, Self, Women's Health, Cosmo, Glamour, and so many other things. In September of 2019, she published her seventh book, Super Attractor, and has a brand new book coming out that we will talk about in today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Gabby Bernstein to the show. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. I want to give you the chance in your own words to tell our listeners at home a little bit about yourself, what you do, what's important to you. Why do you exist on this planet? I am a mother first. I'm a mom to baby Oliver. Uh, I am a, he's not really a baby anymore. He's two years old now. <laughs> he's a big man. I, 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 I uh, have had the privilege of being in the career path of being a spiritual motivational speaker and self-help book author. I have authored nine books. I'm writing my ninth book right now in 10 years. So I've had a lot to say. I've been very passionate about my own personal growth and spiritual recovery through my journey of really resurrecting myself, truly, really shifting everything in my life, changing, changing not only my spiritual foundation and my nervous system, but my, but even my brain. I've, I've been very proud to now be able to live to tell and be a raconteur for love and miracles and, and transformation. This is, this is the work that I do in the world. And as a person, I perceive myself as someone who is in the pursuit of, of happiness and freedom so that I can help others ex experience the same. Oh man, I love it so much. And isn't that a thing that every single human being listening to this needs so badly? I acknowledged before we were recording that there is something interesting about my excitement for you being on the show in part because personally, uh, there is so much of what you teach. There's so much of what you share that has become an incorporated part of my current life that a younger version of me, having grown up inside of a faith tradition, was somewhat skeptical of. There was a little bit of taboo almost around spirituality and energy and, and even meditation. It like as much as like meditation has become now a part of my every single day existence, there was for whatever reason uh, a little bit of voodoo, woo-woo attached to it. I'm curious if someone who's listening is 
not familiar with a little bit of what you do because of maybe a predisposition to judge <laughs> what mm -hmm. it is that you do. Mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you kind of introduce yourself to someone who maybe isn't as familiar with a little bit of the wonder that can come from opening yourself up to the possibility that religion and spirituality can totally coexist or that meditation can be something that supplements prayer or any of the things that like the young baby Dave version of me would have been kept away from you. And why would I have wanted to do that? Um, what, what would you say to somebody who maybe just doesn't even know what they're missing because of something yeah. that they may have in terms of preconceived notions? Well, first things first, when it comes to religion and spirituality, I always say, I don't care what you call it. I just care that you call upon it. So we all, my work, my intention through, through every book I've written, through every talk I've given, through every post I share is to really crack people open to a spiritual connection of their own understanding. That, that spiritual connection may be built upon the backbone of a, of a religious upbringing. That, that spiritual connection may be someone turning their back on their religious upbringing. That spiritual connection may be something that someone who's brought up atheist now establishes that they're spiritual and they decide what that means for them. I have zero agenda, zero interest in, in telling people that this is how it should be. I'm here just to awaken people to the potential relationship of a faith of their own understanding, a spirit of their own understanding, a God of their own understanding. Love it. I've been uh, at the end of my long runs almost every day, sitting on a rock in the middle of nature where I've been doing a meditation, I've been doing a bit of a prayer. And as an exercise to create a foundation for my day, it has been life-changing in the midst of a lot of chaos and unexpected transition that's happening inside of my own life. And the idea of just doing something that I hadn't previously done to awaken myself to the possibilities of what might actually exist and connecting to something bigger than myself has been just such a beautiful gift in transitioning through crazy headwinds that I, you know, again, just hadn't expected. So I love it so much. I know that you're spiritual journey, your journey with spirituality really began when you were young. You've talked about meditating in ashrams with your mother as a child. I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit of how the experiences of your youth maybe informed a little bit of who you've become today. My experiences from my youth made me who I am today, even the most difficult experiences, even traumatic events from my childhood made me who I was to become who I am. They gave me, even the difficult experiences gave me the gift of having different life bottoms so that I could come out the other side. So I can very fondly look back and say the that everything that I've experienced from my past has been something I have used as a catalyst for growth and change and, and personal development. Also, I, I really am grateful mostly to my mom for giving me the planting the seed of spirituality at a young age. While my mother's spirituality, just like we said earlier, isn't my spirituality, isn't my path. It was a introduction to a path. So the fact that my mom brought me to ashrams as a child and had me named by the gurus made it 
not weird for me. Well, my friends might have thought I was crazy. And even, even, even though it wasn't something I would go talk about in my high school experiences, it was something that was normal in my home. So that seed having been planted was a very valuable seed for me. Being taught to meditate when I was going through depression in my high school years really was a saving grace for me. But it also was there for me and saved me all throughout my life, but particularly when I was 25 years old and I had really turned my back on spirituality, I became addicted to to cocaine and alcohol. At that place in my life, when I had hit bottom with drugs and alcohol, it was the spiritual foundation that was planted that was able to be there as a beautiful pillow to fall on when I decided that I was ready to change. So it's, it's, it's no small thing that my mother introduced me to spirituality and, and, and meditation as a child because it was there for me when I needed it most. Yeah. That moment of making that choice to, to, to get sober was a first step in relying on a higher power of my own understanding. But then it was what happens the next day, what happens the next day, what happens the next day. I've lived a life now, I've been sober 15 years, almost 16, almost 16 years. Oh my God. Okay. So I've been sober quite some time and in my recovery, I've had the privilege of really strengthening my faith one day at a time, being being committed to a spiritual path. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a crazy thing that sometimes it ends up taking rock bottom to introduce to you how strong you can be, how much faith, when it is tested, is revealed for how much it has always existed or how much it can be something that can get you through the thing that you're going through. So sobriety is something that I am also experiencing in real time. Uh, I've uh, had a I had a small departure from sobriety in the midst of transitioning through divorce, two bad days of drinking after I'd stopped for a little more than a year. But being someone who in the midst of uh, getting a divorce decided, you know what, I can't drink. I need to fully embrace and experience all the feelings that inevitably come in this transition uh, has been important and in an interesting way has been something that has afforded me uh, an ability to lean on all of the other resources like my faith, like my commitment to health, like my uh, journaling and everything else. Well, I, well, I'm curious because, you know, like when I, whenever I had a conversation with someone who has made a decision to be sober for a length of time, I'm always struck by hey, you have been inside of this space of having made a good decision and committed to it, and you've been the beneficiary of the fruit that's come from having been in it for such a, for such a length of time. At the beginning of the journey, it's more about, oh, I'm going to take control of something that was a bad coping mechanism. I'm going to take control of something that was inhibiting me from showing up as well as I would have liked for my life. And I'm wondering if, this far into the journey, there is, there's a different kind of enlightenment that comes from having been consistent with it for as long as you have been, or if it's just something that has always kind of been a constant that doesn't necessarily change as much over time. Mm, beautiful question. Okay. So first I want to just, just say that there's a minor adjustment I would make with what I perceive my sobriety being. So you use the word control, which I thought was interesting because for me, getting clean was all about relinquishing control. Mm. I had surrender fully to a path beyond one that I could control. So I've, I've been on a journey of unlearning all the controlling behaviors that I've 
needed to cope and feel safe and feel good enough and feel secure and remembering the magnitude and the greatness within me that I had been blocking for so long. So what I've recognized is that my sober journey, my spiritual journey, my personal growth journey has been really an undoing of of belief systems, patterns that were ingrained as a child that made me an addict in the first place. They were they were experiences from my childhood uh, that made me feel like I was living in a constant state of hyper arousal. Uh, living in living in a constant state of of just just reactivity, and when you're living in that way, where your alarm system, the amygdala alarm system, is constantly going off when the littlest thing is out of control, of course you're going to wind up using drugs and alcohol because you're terrified of those feelings because you want to maintain some some sense of control. You want to anesthetize the feelings of discomfort. So that was recognition of why I used, which I never understood. You know, I got clean and sober. I was like, I don't know why I used alcohol and drugs. I just had no idea until I was 36 years old. And I remembered a dissociated trauma from my childhood. So I remembered, I remembered being uh, sexually abused as a child. So that recognition and remembrance was the beginning of the next level of my recovery. And I say, I mean, next level. Right now at 40 years old, I am living the miracle of recovery. I am living the promises of recovery. I am living the just just greatness. And you could look back and say, oh, Gabby, well, you know, you had so many great things happen to you along the way, you know, whatever your credentials, this and that. And I'd be like, no, fuck all that, man. The, the world I'm living in now, the experience of feeling free from my past and the faith in the present and being able to be present and having gone through such gorgeous trauma recovery and continuing to be so committed to that weekly with multiple therapy sessions and my own self-regulating tools and just is the greatest accomplishment of my existence. So, and the best thing about it is that now I can write about it and, and help people that are traumatized and help people that are addicts and help people that even have trauma with a small T. You know, everyone alive right now has trauma with a small T. We're living through a worldwide pandemic. There's no way that you can get out of this with some kind of PTSD unless you're doing work the entire time to stay grounded and maintained. What's so interesting is I would argue that the speed with which you found your freedom and your enlightenment and your satisfaction in the pride for having become who you've become was in many, many ways associated with this decision that you made. And I, as a three on the old Enneagram, I am uh, an achiever. I want to, I want to, I want to push through the grief of this transition as quickly as I possibly can. It's not a thing I can actually control outside of the more that I'm able to connect to the feelings and the emotions that in inevitably end up coming up on an every single hour basis without muting them in a way that allows me to fully process them, talk through them in therapy, write about them as, my, as I journal, I am able to, I think, whether it's true or not, I guess I'll tell you in about a year's or two worth of time, but I think that I'm actually accelerating the process of my own grief journey because of this decision to not mute, to not avoid, to not suppress the things that I'm inevitably feeling. And I look forward to the day when I'm standing on the other side of this, 
so proud of the way that I was able to process it in part because of having made a decision to do it without drinking, without anything that would have otherwise suppressed it. You nailed it because listen, abstinence is the first step and many people can get sober, but it's sobriety without that de- devotional practice of, of personal growth that you just described that you've, uh, you're allowing for your, your own life, that you're pri- given the privilege to have is, is sort of just white knuckling it, right? If we don't have that, if we don't have that foundational growth and commitment. So you've got it completely right. You, you've made the commitment to get clean so that you can really give yourself a beautiful platform to do the work. And getting sober actually gives you a new baseline for safety. Uh, it gives you a new baseline for, for, your, for, for, for building upon your recovery. So uh, not anesthetizing in times that are difficult is one of the most brave things that we can do. It's also one of the most important pathways to genuine healing. Yeah. By the way, it doesn't mean that uh, you have fewer problems. Uh, you know, like I, like I think there's some kind of uh, mental uh, leap that we make sometimes that, oh, I'll make some good choice and all of a sudden the problems will go away. In fact, there are times when there are more problems because now you are having to confront them with clarity and realness. And it just requires you to think differently about the kind of mechanisms you might put in place, the routines you might put in place to help you process the things that you are experiencing in a healthier way. I've been running like a crazy person, but running for me is an outlet to process the things that I'm feeling. And so getting out on the roads, it becomes therapy and church at the same time. And it's an awesome substitute for picking up a drink anytime I feel any temptation for it at all. Great. You're in such great shape. You look well, beautiful. I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, there's a divorce diet happening in conjunction with running 200 miles a month, but you're a speaker, you're an author, you're a leader, a self-described spirit junkie. Uh, What was it about your journey and your experience that wanted you, that that led you to feel like you wanted to share your experiences and lessons with other people? Um, You've obviously always been in somewhat of a transition from one state to the next, but there's something beautiful in the way that you've shared the way that that transition from one to another has been um, able to land on people and help them find their way to the next level for themselves. I think I always knew that I wanted to be a spiritual leader. When I was 14 years old, I was the president of the spiritual youth group in my region in Westchester County growing up. And I would lead these spiritual weekends in the, th- in the temple where people would like, all, all of us would sleep at the temple and I would be like this like 14 year old Sherpa, you know? And I really, really just, it was the happiest time of my life was being in, uh, going to a spiritual camp that was, that, that, you know, celebrated Shabbat every Friday night and having that kind of ritual. But also the youth group element of my upbringing was such a big part of the development of who I am today. I didn't realize it at the time, but, but speaking on behalf of spirituality was what I was brought here to do. So I, recognized it very quickly in my early recovery that these messages, these experiences were not going to be something I would hold. They were going to be something I would share. Very quickly, I began to put on talks in front of live audiences, started group coaching workshops, just started to just teach from where I was. I've continued to do that now for the past 15 years and it's been really cool. 
Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, actually, if you look at the body of work, that you can see where you were when you were in the midst of writing that end of it, right? But, but like, that's part of the beauty of getting to watch the transformation over time, because in some ways it gives permission to anyone who's consuming the work to believe that they are also in, that they have a capacity themselves to actually continue to evolve and grow and become whatever they are inevitably becoming. So um, there's something beautiful about that. I know you got a chance at one point to speak on Oprah's stage at her Super Soul Sessions back in 2017. In that conversation, you talked about your five steps to spiritual surrender. I'm wondering if you could give our listeners here just a little preview of what those steps are. Yeah, I, I write about these steps in my book, The Universe Has Your Back. I've, I, I spoke about them on stage with Oprah and, and many other places. And I, I, I really, I really believe that when we think we've surrendered, we need to surrender more. So the, the first step is really just to take your hands off the wheel through prayer. So when we recognize that there's something that we need to shift and change in our life, we have to, to stop trying to control it, but surrender it fully and completely through prayer. And I, I talk about this in the talk, but the secret to prayer is to forget what you think you need is one of my favorite passages from A Course in Miracles to really accept that that there is a plan better than your own. When we accept that there is a plan beyond our own, it, it actually gives us this level of certainty, even when we can't see yet what it is that we desire. There's also practices in this five-step process. I'm just going to riff on the whole thing rather than take you through step-by-step, step, but the practices of of really recognizing what's thriving in our life. When we focus on what's working, we actually create more of what we want. So really focusing our attention on what is thriving rather than what is not. When we are in a place of surrender, we also can begin to co-create with the universe. We can start to, to rely on the universe or God or God of our own understanding to be a presence of direction for us. We can even say good orderly direction as God. So we can turn over our desires through our prayers and then we can really be patient and witness what comes through. So asking the universe for a sign, you know, saying, show me, show me my, my feathers to know that I'm on the right path is a beautiful practice. Really trusting and knowing that these moments of guidance are real. When you hear, even today, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of, of, of manifesting something in my own life that there was sort of what seemed to be an obstacle. But one of the practices to surrender is to recognize that those obstacles are detours in the right direction. So the obstacle gave me this opportunity to actually speak up for myself and advocate for myself, which in, in the end, the outcome turned out the way that I was hoping. But that wasn't the point. The point was that it gave me this opportunity to speak up and advocate for myself. And and it's just, you can see along the way, all of the, the seeds that have been planted to give you the guidance that you need for the exact moment in time when you're going to be faced with that obstacle so or with that opportunity. So the, the, the living in the, in the practice of surrender requires of us to really begin to rely on a spiritual foundation of our own understanding. You can either look for signs of things not working out and have that evidence present itself every single day, or you can look for the signs of the things that you are hoping for to work out, and you'll find that same evidence, whether it's in how you pursue gratitude or how you're looking for the good, or if you're looking for the signals of what you're hoping to manifest actually showing up, 
if you believe that it will and can lean on a higher power to help you get there, inevitably, I, I believe, you will find those signs if you believe that they exist and you're able to stay open to the possibility that they'll present themselves. Mm -hmm. I've, um, I've heard you say that one of your biggest missions is to make meditation available to everyone, which is admirable task, a big task. I am someone, I will confess, that had not one time in my entire life meditated until two and a half months ago when I started meditating every single day because I was open to, frankly, anything to help me process what I was uh, inevitably going to have to go through. Uh, it has been a, just a godsend. I could not be a bigger advocate for meditation uh, if, if there was a thing uh, just to create clarity and peace and a sense of serenity to all that's happening in your life. How do you start on a mission like that? And why do you think that uh, some people have trouble embracing meditation as a practice? Why didn't I meditate until I was faced with something that was bigger than I'd ever experienced before? Well, often we don't, we don't do the things that we know are good for us until we really need them. So that's okay because you're here now. When, when we meditate, we can regulate our nervous system. We can change the neural pathways in our brain. We, we have the opportunity to transform our belief systems. We have the opportunity to heal cells in our body. When, when we get out of that, that state of, of hypervigilance and we can calm ourselves through a practice like meditation, restore our energy, our body can heal. Our, 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 our emotional system can begin to heal. Meditation also offers us great intuitive guidance. When you, it's often said that when you pray, you ask, but when you meditate, you listen. So I think that's what you're loving so much about your practice right now is you're actually living what I talk about in my first book, Add More Ink to Your Life, which is moving, it was, it was thinking, moving, and receiving. And so it's so, it's so funny to think back to like 15 years ago and I wrote this book and I, it was 10 years ago and I'm wearing, I'm wearing angel wings in the middle of, on a skateboard in the middle of 23rd Street in New York City. So I, uh, it's funny. What you, what I suggested in that book was about physical activity is, so you think a better, better vibrational thought, right? And then you take that for on a run with you. And that physical activity actually moves stagnant energy and connects you to inspiration and spirit in your own way. And then after that movement, you sit and you listen through your meditation. Literally like you're an in girl. <laughs> I'm in. No, no, no. I'm in. It's so crazy because like the list of books I'm reading, the kind of things I'm doing, like I have just paired Untethered Soul with The Power of Now, Introduced Meditation, and I am fundamentally rewiring the way that I am processing thought, the way that I am listening to the universe, the way that I am sitting, frankly, with myself and asking, what emotion are you trying to tell me? What thought are you trying to tell me in a way that previously I just assumed was me being that. If I was anxious, I just thought I was anxious. And now I'm asking that anxiety, why are you here? What, you know, like what, what purpose do you serve? And part of that is now coming through in a grounding practice like meditation that's allowing me in that peace to get back to center, to get back to a neutral that in the midst of chaos would have otherwise not existed. I just, I am, I'm here for it. I love it. So Please, please convince the universe, all, all of the people who live inside of it to jump into meditation. I think our world would just be a better place. I agree. How often do you meditate? Twice a day for 20 minutes. Yeah. That's good. 
Sometimes my afternoon meditation can go even longer to 40 minutes if I let it, but we'll see, you know. I have not yet got to the place where I can cross the 25 minute threshold. Like I am. If you can sit for 25 minutes, God bless you. That's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Now here's the thing. If you're listening and you never tried meditating or you have some taboo around it, I would encourage you to one time just spend, even if it's 10 minutes, grab any resource that already exists for free on the internet listen to a meditation. If you can do it in nature, I'll tell you what, it's going to increase the the odds that it's actually going to be effective and just see how it changes your state, Mm -hmm. how it reduces the way that you are feeling heavy and burdened by the chaos that we're all living inside of. And if you feel that the one time, trust, you're going to go back to that well, because there's something there. Uh, Speaking of the things that we are all working through, uh, I know you were recently on my friend, your friend, Tom Bilyeu's podcast, uh, Impact Theory, and you were talking about mental illness and isolation and how to kind of cope through or thrive through everything that we are trying to uh, collectively get through inside of COVID. How, if listeners currently are struggling to find peace, can they find it? What, what, what advice would you give to helping them make their chaotic lives a little less chaotic? How much time do you have? <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of answers. Go as long as you like. I'm just kidding. Uh, so actually, I have to feed a child. So we, we, have, we have as much time as my son's stomach has. So um, what, what, I, what I was going to say was uh, that God gave me a gift in May, which was, sorry, this was a year ago in May. So it's been, it's, it's, so over a year now, year and a half where I was gifted the diagnosis of postpartum depression and anxiety, which for me led to insomnia and suicidal thoughts. And that was a gift because it gave me a deeper understanding, a true understanding of what mental illness is. And I believe that that happened for me, not only so that I could help postpartum mamas, but also so that I could help people even more now as the times are changing in such rapid ways where many people are faced with severe conditions of anxiety, depression, su- suicidal thoughts, addiction, more than ever. We, we don't, our coping mechanisms have been taken from us. We are being forced to stay in, be still. We are having financial, people have financial insecurity. People are feeling relationships changing it's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's a big time for change. And my friend Kyle Gray gave me a beautiful quote that he channeled and it was, when everything is changing around you, you have to change with it. So it's, it's the first thing I would say is that it's, it's safe to change right now. It's, it's a beautiful time. This is your, you have an opening right now. So you can have a perceptual shift about what's going on in the world by allowing yourself to accept that there is a massive door opening for you to become new for you to dismantle the parts of yourself that were no longer working and reclaim the the beauty and the love of, of, of all of who you are. That doesn't always come with ease. It often comes with, with some pain and some, some discomfort because nobody really likes to change. Though if we give ourselves the opportunity to go there and we take this experience and this period of our life seriously, we will come out new. Yeah. I've talked a little bit about lately this idea of being handed a blank piece of paper because in some respects, normal that existed will not in the future. It'll be new and different. There is a lot of transition happening 
because of jobs, because of COVID, because of, in, you know, in many cases, uh, just transition. And that blank piece of paper is uh, at the same time, exhilarating and terrifying because you can write anything you want on side of that, on that piece of paper, but also you have to confront your fear. You have to deal with the unknown. You have to battle the constructs that you have previously lived inside of. You have to deal with the potential of not getting it right the first time that you write it down. But there's also something, you know, if what, what other time in our lifetime where you afforded so much freedom to write literally anything you want on a piece of paper than a time when the world has completely been turned upside down. There's something beautiful about it. That's right. That's right. I, I think that there's a few things that people must have right now in terms to, to, to recover and survive from this time. I do believe that you, you, it's really crucial to have some kind of faith of your own, whether it be religious faith, whether it be spiritual faith, but something beyond your physical sight that you can rely on so that you can have a sense that there is a higher purpose in what's happening in the world and you can really believe that there is an opportunity for growth and it's not just a sentence that we're going through this difficult thing. The other thing I really would acknowledge and, and, and suggest is if anyone's seriously suffering or even if they're slightly suffering to find some form of therapeutic guidance not everybody can afford therapy, and I recognize that, but there, there are resources available to people, uh, and there's even public resources that are available to people when we are really desperate and in need. So really, even just saying, I pray for that guidance, you begin to open up your consciousness to receive the practical therapeutic support that, you, that is appropriate for you, affordable for you. So that's my prayer. I also, I also would really highly recommend, whether it be following a personal growth path of your own that you love, whether it be a book or whether it be a teacher or whether it be an, a podcast or something that is an anchor for you to find a grounded voice so that you can have a voice of hope to lean on. Sometimes when we don't have that voice within ourselves, someone else's voice can be that for us. Uh, I really, I really can't emphasize enough having a practice and having having ritual, daily rituals. I listened to a video with uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who's one of the leading trauma therapists. And early in the, the, the COVID lockdown or whatever we want to call it, stay-at-home orders, he said that when you're, when you're stagnant, when you're forced to, to, to stay in, that that could put you into an immobilized state. And you don't want to freeze right now. So everything you're doing, by the way, Dave, is perfect. So, so, so routine, sticking to that same routine every single day, physical movement, meditation, man, you've got it all in here, right? Uh, caring for yourself with your food, sticking to a schedule, having a little small child is helpful because I'm like on his exact schedule and just, and just really committing to that will help you mentally in a massive, massive way mentally in a mat. And I'll give you for the show notes, I did an hour long anxiety relief, free anxiety relief workshop right at the beginning of COVID. And I give tons of tools for how to regulate your anxiety right now. So I'll give you that for the show notes and you can give it away. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. You know, what's interesting is people are always asking like, you know, do you do the same thing every day or how do you know how to handle a hard day? And my answer has always been like, I have to commit to the exact same routine in the same sequence every single day because I can't predict which day is going to be the hard day, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, like I think in, in this 
collective grief that we're experiencing in COVID or anyone who's going through any kind of a hard time, it's not a linear thing. It's not like, oh, it just gets better every day. You could have three great days in a row and then a bad day can show up. And if you don't have something that consistently is priming you to be ready for the bad day, when the bad day comes now, instead of it being a single bad day, it turns into four bad days Mm -hmm. and getting back up ends up just being that much harder. So being really, really consistent and being focused on my health. And when I say health, mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical health ends up being um, a thing that, man, it's just every day, same thing. It's, you know, maybe boring to some to have to do the same thing every day, but I think it is the foundation from which you can engineer having more good days than bad and weather the bad days when they come. Uh, Speaking of reaching for resources that might inspire you or have uh, their voice fill in some of the voice that you can't find yourself. You have a book, a latest book. I mean, you've written a million books and they've all been fantastic sellers, but Super Attractor is something that promises to show readers how to do less and attract more. I'm here for that. Uh, Will you tell us a little bit about your latest book and what you hope readers might get from it? I will. And I actually have another book out that's out likely right when this podcast will be aired. So uh, I'll talk about that too. Super Attractor came out, um, what is almost a year ago? Yeah. Right before, yeah, right before the new year. Super Attractor is a fun book. It's a fabulous book. It's a book that is really supportive to people right now. It's methods for manifesting a life beyond your wildest dreams. But the but is, it's really a book on how to feel good. So if you... If you are feeling stuck in thought patterns that have been holding you back from manifesting your desires, read this book. If you're feeling caught in negative spiral and you can't get out, read this book. If you want to take your life to the next level and you want your post-pandemic life to be different than your pre-pandemic life, then read this book. If you want to just feel better, (laughs) read this book. And I, I know I sound like a PSA for my own book, but let me tell you something. It's, it's, it's a book that healed me. It's a book that I return to when I'm misaligned. It's amazing. And there's some resources, fun resources that went alongside it that are also things that can immediately, if you're having a hard day or you've lost yourself somewhere in a limiting belief that you can pull yourself right back out uh, from it. What is your, what's your next book? I created a Audible original with Audible that will be out first as an audiobook then it will be in print in a year. So what's awesome about this is that it's virtually, it's pretty much free. So if you are a member of Audible, you get the book for free. The book is called You Are the Guru. And I want to get into it. It's, 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 it's You Are the Guru and it's six transformational messages to move through these tumultuous times with more faith and more grace and more ease and, and, and just a better, a better approach. So it's extremely timely. I wrote, I finished it right before the pandemic. And then I was like, holy moly, this is, this could not be more appropriate. Thank you, God. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's beautiful and it's so helpful. And then, and, and so if you, if you're a member of Audible, you can listen to it for free. If you're not a member, you can, I guess you can try the free trial and get it for free, or you can just buy it if you want to buy it. I mean, whatever you want, it's, it's yours. So this is a Audible original called You Are the Guru. It's, it's really important messages that we can, if we live by these messages right now, messages of compassion, messages of, of leaning, leaning into solutions rather than problems, messages about really seeing through the lens of love, 
which couldn't be more timely than it is right now, messages of, of really accepting that you are the guru, not looking for everybody else to be the answer to your problems, but really finding that teacher within yourself. Damn, this book is so timely. So it's out, it's yours. It's likely free for most everybody listening if you choose to not buy it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it when the universe lines itself up that you created something with the hope that it would be impactful and meaningful and that it ends up being even more relevant and even more timely when it ends up being released. So uh, we will put the link to that in the show notes as well. Everyone go and get that immediately. Last question, I always wanna try and leave our listeners with a single tip a takeaway, a thing that they could implement in their life today that would change the way that they are experiencing their world today. What is one thing, Gabby, that you would tell our humans who are listening today that they ought to do that would make their life just a little bit better? I'm going to give you a heart hold. So you place your left hand on your heart and your right hand on your belly and you breathe in and on the inhale, you feel your diaphragm extending and release your breath and let your diaphragm relax. Breathe in and feel your diaphragm extending and your heart opening. And on the exhale, let your diaphragm relax. And you can just continue that cycle of breath for as long as you want. But when you meditate, Dave, hold your heart and your belly. And this is a, a hold that will help you feel safe and it will help calm you. And it will help, it's really going to catapult you into that relaxation response so that you can start to really receive even greater benefits from your meditation practice. I actually do this hold as I'm falling asleep at night as well. I feel better already. Yes. Dang it. Gabby, you're an amazing human. You are literally a light unto this world. You have given so many gifts to other people. And as listeners, I'm sure they are curious if they do not already follow you, where the heck they could learn more about the work that you do or where they can follow you on social media. Please tell these people where they can do that. Everything is Gabby Bernstein. So GabbyBernstein.com and at Gabby Bernstein on social handles. And that's where I'm at. You're amazing. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you do. And I'm so grateful that you gave some time today to us as a community. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode and why or how could you have not, I hope that you will take a picture of it on the device you're listening. That you'll tag both Gabby and I, that you will share it with friends, tell them immediately to listen to it. And until next time, have yourself a fantastic week. Put your left hand over your heart, your right hand over your diaphragm and breathe in and out slowly to find the peace that you are looking for. We'll see you next week on the next episode of Rise Together. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.